So God, you're the uh, creator. You're the one who's made us. You're the one um, who holds this all together. And uh, even though there's plenty of times we scratch our head and wonder, is uh, are you paying attention, quite frankly, because things seem to be a mess. We believe that you are paying attention. More than that, you have a plan. More than that, your plan has our best interests in mind and you are uh, devoted to getting our attention and causing us to, um, to see uh, your work in our lives and in those around us to draw us closer to yourself. So with this in mind, we lift these requests to you. We've got um, this, the stuff of life uh, swirls in all our lives and just a few of those things were mentioned today. We've got soldiers that are here and abroad in Afghanistan and Fort Carson, Colorado. Uh, we we uh, lift each one to you. Many more besides, many that I could raise as well. Um, God, we ask uh, your special hand of protection, strength, and, um, and wisdom to each one that is close to us and to those that they come in contact with. Uh, God, we believe that you have uh, a special concern for those that put their lives between danger and those that need to be protected. And so we recognize this about these young men and ask your special blessing on them. We pray for Brett in, his, in the aftermath of his uh, car wreck and, and injury. And um, so, God, we pray that you heal the, the damage done the, and that the, um, the stuff that is hard to see and hard for doctors even with all their sophisticated equipment, and we're grateful for it and we're grateful that it's been put to, um, brought to bear here in Brett's situation. Even, even with all that, God, it's, it's hard to see uh, and hard to keep somebody under those um, in, in that equipment and, and, and looking at all, all the time. And so we pray that there's no surprises going on in there because you see and you know. And we pray that you'd, you'd heal the injuries that uh, you would, um, and in, in the process that you would continue to draw Brett closer to yourself. And we lift uh, Marie Montville to you, Sandra's mom, and it's a big surprise to everyone. And it's... Um, it's not the kind of surprise that anybody wants at any time, certainly not at Christmas time. And as this family interacts with this harsh reality, uh, God, we ask that your presence that uh, is certainly there would be recognized and that you would um, you'd give comfort to hearts. Pray for healing. We ask that you'd remove this from Maria if that's your will. But if it's not your will and, and um, they continue to go through this difficult, difficult time, that um, your will would be made known in their lives, and that you draw them close to yourself. And uh, for, for Daisy, for Christy, for Luba especially, as her due date approaches, we are grateful for the new life that is growing within them and ask for your continued hand of blessing through this process. And we're grateful that we get 
to witness it, and we are grateful that uh, you are causing the, the miracle of life to, to, be, um, to, to come to fruition through, uh, through these families and ask your hand of blessing on each one. So God, now we're going to open your, your book and we're going to look, about, look at this miracle of uh, a baby being born, a very special baby, as all are. This is the special baby, your son, uh, who came to earth. Help us to see with fresh eyes the good news that is uh, there for us to change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are, Christmas time, Christmas season once again. So I was thinking uh, this week, it's been a few decades that I've had the privilege at Christmas time and Sundays leading up to Christmas um, to be able to, to preach to uh, various churches and various congregations about uh, the good news of uh, what it meant that a Savior has been born through Christ the Lord some 2,000 uh, years ago in Bethlehem. And even though I haven't preached every Christmas time, because sometimes I've been a military chaplain and not a pastor, but, and haven't had the opportunity to preach, but uh, more often than not I have, and the story never gets old. I've had um, many of opportunities to preach over the years, and the Bible's big, thick book, right? And I, I certainly haven't preached on every passage, but every year at this time, you preach on the same couple of passages, and it doesn't ever get old. And it doesn't matter whether it's a, a, a traditional church building or a preschool or a tent in the Persian Gulf, the story never gets old, and the story is always relevant and powerful. And as we look at it again this morning, which we'll do, I ask that for all of us for whom this is a very well-known story, and here we are bringing it out again at Christmas time this year, that the familiar pictures, the, the, the familiar um, kind of cadence of the story itself, that we will look at it with fresh eyes. Not that I have anything different to say today than I've said over the past couple of decades, but we all should come to this with fresh eyes and with an open heart ready uh, to hear what God has for us, that this wouldn't simply be a picturesque background to a season where we kind of get together with family and exchange presents, as important as that is, but that the true power and the, the, the miracle and the expression of God's love that is available for us to contemplate and, and receive would come through in a fresh and powerful way as we look once again at the Christmas story. So let's jump into it once again. Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, the story of the Savior who was born so long ago in Bethlehem. I want to draw a couple things out of this passage, Luke 2, and then, well, the whole chapter, really, as we work our way through uh, Luke 2, 1 through 20, going to 
highlight several things. The first thing I want to highlight right here as we read this portion is that the harsh reality of life on earth is clearly visible in this story. We can lose sight of it in kind of the glitz and the tinsel and the, and the holiday lights, but uh, let's, let's try to pay attention to the fact that real people in real time went through a real experience, and that experience was really, really hard. The harsh reality of life is evident in these verses. Let me read for you. Verse 1, Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Here's a Christmas story, right? Jesus, born of Mary. Joseph standing by, placed in a feeding trough for barnyard animals because there was no other place for them to stay. A pretty picture in our minds because we associate it with the Christmas story and all the, uh, that goes with the celebration of Christmas in our time, but in this story, there's some harsh realities, aren't there? First of all, there's kind of the harsh realities on a global scale, if you will, not, I mean, the world was uh, kind of uh, a very different place 2,000 years ago, obviously, but the world that the people in this story knew of was the Roman world, and, and um, the political forces of that day were causing very difficult times for the quote-unquote little people, the regular citizens that fell under the umbrella of Rome. So, so think about it. The, the head of this um, world force, the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus, sent out a decree that caused this young couple, Mary Joseph, and soon to be the baby that was born to them, Jesus himself, caused them to be uprooted and make an overland trek by foot to the other side of the area that they lived in from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Political forces, mass migration, there, were, there was some harsh reality going on in the world of that time. And because this was the uh, area of Judea um, with, with uh, Galilee and the, 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 the historic land of Israel, the people in that time, they weren't too happy about this because here they um, didn't want Rome to rule them. They wanted to rule themselves and they didn't want to pay taxes 
that went to Rome, Italy. They wanted to pay uh, their offerings that would go to Jerusalem and support uh, their, their own nation. And so nobody is happy here that they're having to move around or to pay taxes. There was the harsh reality of political forces on their lives that caused them to be very, very unhappy and uh, inconvenienced. Inconvenienced, of course, is an understatement because on the personal scale, for this young couple, Mary most likely in her mid-teenage years, so that's when they got married at that time. We don't know how old Joseph was. It could well be that he was older than her because later in the gospel accounts, we see Mary from time to time, but we don't see Joseph when uh, Jesus has grown. And so perhaps he was older and uh, he, he had passed away at this time. By the time Jesus has, has grown to uh, manhood, it's, it was a tough world back then. He could have died in any number of ways. Um, so we don't know how old he was, but, but Mary certainly... Uh, would have been a young girl. And aside from the uh, fact that she was having to travel when she was about to deliver a child, um, there was controversy and, and uh, a negative uh, reputation that swirled around this young couple already because the Bible tells us the story of how she became pregnant. But... What are people thinking about how she became pregnant? So this is an unwed couple. They, they were betrothed. They were engaged to be married. But they were traveling together. They weren't yet married. She was pregnant. People were talking. And aside from all that, they are now on the road and technically homeless. A young, unmarried, teenage mother uh, pregnant uh, woman with, with her boyfriend on the road, homeless. You get the picture. We don't typically think of these things when we think of the Christmas story, but they had their plate full in terms of the harsh realities of life. And so they make it from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and uh, it's entirely possible, given the kind of reading between the lines here, and we don't know for sure, but biblical historians will, will tell us that um, the reason that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem, it, it, it had to do with their, their relatives and, and, and where historically their family was from, but taxes were exacted mostly on property, and so it's entirely possible that Joseph had some kind of uh, uh, legal right to property in Bethlehem. And so I got to thinking about that. So even, even with that, he, he gets there, he, but he, he can't turn a profit on this property. property. If, if he could, he wouldn't have been trying to make a living as a carpenter up in Nazareth. So imagine the frustration here. He's, got, he's just scrambling to make a living, right? He's got an opportunity to, um, he, he's got some land down there in Bethlehem, but all he's doing on that is paying taxes. 
and he's just trying to make a living. He's just trying to support his, get married and support his young family, and he's getting jerked around all over the place, and he simply is having trouble making ends meet. This harsh reality is going on, so think about it. Political turmoil, difficulty just making ends meet, taxes that nobody likes. We, we could relate with any number of those things, couldn't we? And perhaps some of the others as well. The harsh realities of life are throughout this story. And God is in the midst of this story by sending his son to come in. Not to be born of in, in, in a fine palace of luxury, but in the midst of this struggling situation of Mary and Joseph there in Bethlehem. There's harsh realities in this story. God is in the midst of it. Let's go on. Not only are there harsh realities in the story, there's also the glorious reality of heaven interjecting itself into the midst of those harsh realities. We have the glorious reality of the power of heaven in the Christmas story. Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. Let me read these for us. There are shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the, ro- glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. Find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Bless you. Here in a story of harsh reality of a poor family and humble circumstances with difficulty all around them and the miracle of birth happens. Here in the midst of this story, something incredible happens for anybody on the outside looking in. Certainly the birth of the Son of God was a miracle of the highest order, but from the outside looking in, you wouldn't see it. And so God wanted everybody to notice what was going on. So something truly remarkable happened. But notice who it happened to. Out there on the hillside, the working class guys, these shepherds, have this experience of the veil that separates this world with its harsh harsh realities from the next world, from heaven itself with its glorious realities. That veil is torn and heaven comes crashing down into the everyday lives of these very ordinary working guys, these shepherds, and manifests itself to shine a light on what God is doing through Jesus. 
if we were to go back just one chapter in Luke, and we a couple weeks ago we we looked at this. Angels are popping up all over the place. The different people announcing different uh, incredible things that happen right there at the beginning of Luke's gospel in Luke chapter one. We uh, have Zechariah, the priest, in the temple. Do you remember that? If, if you were here, if you are familiar with this story. And if you're not, uh, no big deal. Zechariah was in that temple in Jerusalem, inside the place where very few people go, only the priests could go. And he was right outside that most holy place in the temple where there was this veil separating him from the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God was, was designed to dwell. Zechariah was right outside this holy of holy places, the holy of holy uh, place. And the only thing that separated him and that most holy place was this veil. And an angel appeared to him. Well, here, nowhere near the temple, far removed out in the outskirts of uh, this little town of Bethlehem, the shepherds, with no expectation that anything like this is going to happen uh, at all, angels start appearing. I want to make the um, observation is that all of us are just beyond that veil that separates this world from the next world. Like Zechariah, who was outside that physical veil at that uh, separated him from the most holy place. All of us are just outside a veil that separates us from eternity. And there are places and there are times when that veil appears to be very thin. And the presence of eternity feels very close. And those times can be scary times, in fact, very often. They are. If, where, where, where life itself appears, uh, it, it is not at all certain. As a pastor, as a chaplain, I get have the privilege of being able to walk into those places where that veil is thin. Walking into a hospital room, visiting somebody that is very, very sick. It, it feels very much like a different place because it feels like that veil is thin. Eternity is crashing in to this world that we live in. I, I would say when, when a new baby comes into the world, it, it, it certainly feels like a sacred place. It's like the, the incredible uh, miracle of life that is um, coming into the in, into the world through the birth of a child, and I understand my, uh, my, my experience of being in the proximity of that happening is very different than the mother of the child who's bringing a child in. I get very nervous anytime I talk about the miracle of birth, and I don't want... So I'm, I'm a little scared now. I feel like the veil's kind of thin. I'm in trouble even talking about... You know what I'm saying? The veil, there is something bigger than what is going on in that place, the, the miracle of the situation, the veil is thin. And there, there are times in our lives when 
All of a sudden, out of nowhere, we're going along and everything seems fine, but then bang, like that. Everything is thrown off course and we don't know what's going on. It, that veil is thin. Heaven comes crashing in. It's important for us to understand that there is something on the other side. And on the other side is a God who is powerful and all-knowing and loving and cares for us. And he wants to interact with us through that veil and then when the day comes to bring us beyond that veil into his presence. And he sent his son Jesus so that we can have interaction with heaven itself through that veil. The angels who come crashing through that veil into the lives of these, these just regular uh, blue-collar guys, these shepherds. Shepherds had the reputation in the ancient world as, as kind of being uh, you know, disreputable, uh, kind of rough-around-the-edges folks. You can understand it. They spent much of their time uh, outside of society following their, their flocks. Um, you know what happens when... Men are out there together without their women. They get kind of shaggy and smelly and gross. And that's what these guys were, right? And so think of whatever uh, comes to mind in terms of a modern comparison. A rough crowd, okay? These aren't, you know, the pious goody two-shoes type of folks that you might think of uh, today as being the kind of folks that God would... Uh, make a point to go down and, and tell something very important to. These are the last people you would expect. That's who God went to, these shepherds and the angels. Uh, the angel announced to them, and the uh, choir of angels sang to them. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. The reality of heaven is crashing into the harsh reality of their world. The Bible talks uh, a lot about what reality really means. We tend to be focused on the things around us. That makes sense, right? The things around us that we can see, that we can touch, that we can experience personally through our senses. These are important things. God made the world after all, and he, and he made us as physical beings to be in the world, but we're not just physical beings. We're also spiritual beings, and within us is this interaction between the image of God he's placed in us and a desire for eternal things in this, uh, this world that we live in, and this interplay between heaven and earth is played out with uh, not just us, but these spiritual forces that exist. And we see the angels here in the Christmas story, and there are other spiritual forces, uh, forces of darkness that the Bible talks about that come into play. And it's all very mysterious and just kind of crazy even to think about. But when we look at the world, and we look at, on the one hand, how, how beautiful and majestic can be the uh, sunset over the mountains under the, the, a blanket of new fallen snow. And we, we're just amazed at how wonderful that is. But then on the other hand, we see the, the terrible 
inhumanity and destruction and real horror that exists in the world. What, how, how can those two things exist? It's because there's spiritual forces and there's a spiritual war that's going on. And God, in a way far beyond our ability to comprehend, is causing his will to be done in this landscape of a harsh world and the physical and the spiritual realities behind it. And he wants us to be on his team and combat the darkness that seeks to overcome his good world. It's expressed this way in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms Paul, the apostle, who knew what it was like to be put into prison and face the harsh reality of life for being someone that proclaimed the good news of this Savior who was born in Bethlehem. Paul, who knew what it was like to be deprived of uh, of, uh, a comfortable life and suffered physically for... um, for, uh, because he was a proclaimer of this good news... He said that the powers behind the physical power structures that existed through the Roman government and on down, yes, those were people making decisions, but behind all that, there were spiritual forces at work. And our job, Paul said, as those who want to follow the the Savior who came and was born in Bethlehem, rose to manhood, died on the cross, and and, and was raised up forever, if we want to be his follower, we need to understand where the battle lies. It's, it's, it's this uh, force behind the veil. And in order to um, overcome it, we need to ask for the power of heaven to come in. Jesus, in what we call the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, the first part of it, he said, This in verse 9, this is then how you ought to pray. This is Jesus telling us how to fight this spiritual battle. This is how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring heaven through the veil into our lives right now. Spiritual reality of a good God, all-powerful, seated in heaven with his Son at his right hand, that's available to us through that veil that separates us from the world to come. It's available to us through Jesus. The angels sang, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angel said heaven can come to earth and give us peace through Jesus. It's harsh reality within the world, but the glorious reality of heaven can break through to this world. And it breaks through in the person of Jesus. Let's finish this Christmas story, 15 through 20.
Luke chapter 2. The angels had left them and gone into heaven. Shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that's happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph, baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. And, but Mary treasured all these things and, and pondered them in her heart. Shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So, so imagine the picture. I mean, again... This backdrop of the Christmas story is part of our uh, kind of um, kind of the, the 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 yearly experience of of Christmas. And yeah, the shepherds are there. These nice guys kind of just show up, and they're all you know quiet. And 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 uh, there's the baby, and, and you know somehow the baby has its own nightlight because it's glowing, and uh, you know. And we've got this picture, right? But again, these are tough guys. They descend from the hills down into Bethlehem, this little town, okay? And they're making a ruckus, right? Notice what it says. It says, verse 17, when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. That means right away. That means they busted into this town. They saw what had happened. They had just seen angels, all right? And they're amazed, and they're, they're, look, they're just what the angels said. That's the Savior, and so they're waking up everybody in town. So imagine rough guys, whatever, construction workers that just came in, bikers, I don't know, what, whatever you can imagine, these rough guys pounding on, hey, wake up, something's going. That's a little scary, all right? And the whole town, it says, uh, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. But Mary pondered it in her heart. And then it says, they went back. And they were praising God for the things that they'd seen. Just as the angels had told them. So as we close, a couple things here. Let's notice. First of all, heaven and earth as they intersect in Jesus here in this story they intersect, but the harsh realities of life still exist. We started with those harsh realities. We still have a homeless family, doesn't have a, uh, a place to call their own. They're staying in a place based on the, um, based on the kindness of others. Their, their baby has to be in a, in, in a, in, in a feeding trough. They're still poor. They're still homeless. They still have the reputation around them that's swirling. The harsh realities still exist. They're still going to have to pay their taxes, right? The harsh realities still exist. But the power of heaven is evident, and it's motivating people to action. And there's two types of action we see in this story that can inform us in how we interact with the power of heaven intersecting our lives in the person of Jesus. First is what Mary did. What did she do? She pondered it in her heart. 
we open scripture, when we allow its message to, to um, kind of work its way into our heart, we have some pondering to do if we desire its message to, to take root and take hold. This message is meant to be everything we've talked about, the, the very power of heaven itself breaking through that separation between our world and the spiritual reality of heaven and to come down and settle into our very lives. But it settles in our heart. And if it doesn't settle in our heart, then it just becomes a story. And so my question this morning is, uh, are we like Mary? And we, are we allowing this to settle into our heart? God speaks to us in ways that are so far beyond what we could ever imagine. Is God speaking to your heart today? I suggest hear his word and ponder what he has for you. That's, that's uh, one way this story motivates us to action. But then there's this also the way that the shepherd were motivated to action. And that is through proclamation. They experienced the power of heaven and they couldn't keep it to themselves. And they went out and they told people, get up, look what's going on. This is amazing. After it was all over, they stood talking to each other. Can you believe it? You see that? They, they couldn't keep it quiet. They were motivated to talk to people. It changed how they viewed life. They still had to go back to work. Harsh reality still existed. But heaven had intersected their lives in the person of Jesus. I recommend to all of us this Christmas season, we ponder what it is that God is trying to teach us through his son. And we allow that to motivate us to go out and do that which he wants us to do because he gave us his son. Let's pray together. So our God in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom is coming. We want your will to be done. We know it will be, but may it be done in our lives now, here on earth, without whatever it is that we're going through, just as you would desire it to be done in heaven. If we were standing before you now, may our lives be such that we act here and now in the same way we would if we were standing in your very presence. We're able to do this because you gave us your son. And so we thank you for Jesus. And we ask that you would cause Jesus to bring heaven to our lives today. It's in his name we pray. Amen.